0: Christchurch, New Malden, 12th of January 2020, 6.30 service. David Taylor speaking on, A Christian response to those who annoy or frustrate me. Amen. Okay, well we're running a new series at 6.30 service called 2020 Vision. And I must admit I've been very impressed by the clever graphic design that uh, Nathan had for this. Uh, the series is looking at, we've got some glasses somewhere, perhaps, perhaps we haven't got the glasses anyway, there were very clever glasses which had two on their side. Is that something you devised yourself or is that something you, you devised? it? Impressive? Well, we've we lost it. Anyway, next week we shall have the glasses. They were very, very impressive. Anyway, and this, we're looking at how we respond in a Christian way to different situations. And last week Ruth pre- preached on a Christian response to those who voted differently to me. And I must confess, I thought, what on earth is she going to talk about on that subject? And I was amazed how much there was in that subject. So uh, very well, I thought, how am I going to follow that? So anyway, this week, we're looking at a Christian response to those who annoy or frustrate me. <clears throat> I'm not quite sure why I was chosen to speak on that particular subject. Perhaps they thought that as a verger in the church I would have plenty of experience of people who annoy or frustrate me. But uh, I can honestly say there has been very little and it's been a pleasure and a privilege to be doing this job. Now, I do know of another verger, however, who does get rather frustrated and annoyed with people. He's a verger at a church in a village called uh, Walsington-on-Sea. Perhaps you've encountered him. Uh, he is, of course, Morris Yateman, the verger in Dad's army, and I believe that one of his pet sayings was, I'm going to report you to the vicar. <laughs> well, fortunately, there's been little need to report anybody to the vicar here. Anyway. I think it's sometimes the vicars themselves, actually, who have the tricky business of dealing with awkward people. And I could think of perhaps somebody else who might be doing this sermon, who might do it rather better, who has much more experience of this. But anyway, let me introduce you to one such vicar or minister, this, this person, his name is Joshua. Okay, he's the person on the right shaking hands at the end of the sermon, good sermon vicar and all that. Okay, he's the pastor of a thriving church in a small town in Missouri. She's been the pastor there for six months. And before that, she was a minister in a church in California for nine and a half years. I'd like to introduce you to Joyce, a member of his congregation. She's been going to this church in Missouri for 10 years, and she's been leading a women's Bible study group there for the last five years. She has an adopted son who was born in Guatemala. His name is John. He's 13 years old, and he's shortly to be 14. And John doesn't particularly like birthdays, as it reminds him that he doesn't know who his parents are. Now, a film was recently made about this story. It's a true story. There's the actor playing Josh on the right, and the real person, who's the real Josh, the real John Smith, or the real John Smith, is on the left. I'd like to show you a scene from it where Joyce comes to lead her women's Bible study group and the pastor, new, new pastor, Jason, he's been there six months, remember, at this church in Missouri, he interrupts the meeting. She gets rather irritated as the pastor, as you'll see. And at the end of this clip, I'd like to ask you, if you were the pastor, what would you do, okay? So as you're watching this clip, just just bear that in mind, okay? You've got to have a little chance to chat with your next door neighbor or something. If you were the pastor, what would you do in this situation? But first, I'd just like a quick look at our Guatemalan-born son, John, at school, okay, so. Anybody got some thoughts as to what the pastor should do about this uh, lady? (laughs) um i think he should have backed down really correct, yeah. yeah so you've got a problem. one person yeah, so you left yeah. <laughs> the, the, i mean he was the newcomer okay. and um they needed to work out a system not in an antagonistic way there and then but one of them had to back down okay what do other people think? Anybody got different thing on that any different take on that should he have backed down yeah. okay so so the pastor's in the wrong yeah Okay. Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. They they should go. Yeah, that is a good point, isn't it? It says so. With humility of mind, let each of you regard others as more important than yourselves. So in that case, perhaps he should have uh, said, "Okay, we'll go to Starbucks." Especially when she said, "Oh, are you paying?" Okay, well we'll go to Starbucks, and that that would have been good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think I agree. His actions were the ones that were completely in the wrong, but. Her passive aggressiveness was pretty frustrating, you know. Clearly, it's just like, just say the thing you want to say. Don't don't kind of throw around sniffy comments to try to make your point. That, that's, that's right. She wouldn't give him call him by name, would she? Our pastor, and then oh, call me Jason. Said we've known you for six months. Okay, pastor. She comes back. That will not do, will it? That kind of behaviour. Anybody else? Any comments before we? Okay, Uh, I think actually it's his approach that was wrong. I can see that in a staff meeting, you might need a room because of confidentiality and it might not be easy to go to Starbucks, but it was his whole tone of voice and he was almost devaluing her by the things he said. And that was the thing that came across to me in his um, devaluing her ministry um, and the ripping of the timetable off the wall was by far the worst thing. Um, so, but anyway, I'll let Stephen speak as well. No, but he also humiliated her in front of the, those other women, didn't he? So he was sort of appealing to them uh, as people that would, would see that, you know, he, he was the, the future and she was the past or whatever. I felt there was... Um, So, I mean, I interpreted the question when you asked about what should he have done Different. I I was thinking afterwards as well, and that he would need to go and apologise completely and unreservedly, really, and, and, and probably admit a level of insecurity, because if he's behaving in that way, he's probably threatened at some level by her being established there. So there might be some sort of honesty needed about, you know, what's sort of going on. Obviously, not taken the trouble to find out anything about her and the group she runs, even though he's been there six months. He should maybe yeah. know by now. You know, he might not know loads about the group, but he should be aware of the group. He should, he should, yeah. should know so that that meeting was happening. He? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or even yeah. if he'd forgotten, yeah. you know, he would have, when he'd gone in, realised that he'd forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There were lots of wrongs and not many rights, but I think the whole question here was respect. The lady herself showed a lot of ill respect to the people she was supposed to be there. She was late. And that put her in a bad mood before she started. She felt hassled, she hardly got into a meeting when he came along and showed even less respect. So I think it was a question of learning respect mutually there. Okay, that's good. Anybody want to say anything about the lady? I I was expecting much more comments about the the lady's reactions, actually. Most of you were commenting on on the pastor, which is great. Anybody want to comment on the lady? She didn't even want to mention his name, did she? Our pastor, she says, and then uh, said, call me Jason. Yes, pastor. Come on, that will not do that sort of behavior. And I think the pastor's actually got to take her up on that. And you can't have somebody leading a Bible study group who's basically got a root of bitterness against the pastor, can you? When, at some stage, that's got to be tackled. Isn't it? Otherwise, it's going to spread right through the church. Anyone and, and, and got any comments on that? Or? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say that, on the other hand, From the bit before it's clear that she's having quite a difficult time with her son as well and i think actually that response is probably because like that final thing with the past is probably like the straw that broke the camel's back so actually i think there's a level of responsibility for her and for him to have a conversation in the sense that surely she you know she probably is thinking that she'd want to look to someone in the church to help her you know that woman asked her how it was going and that it was difficult and that actually there's kind of a redefining of what that relationship should be, because clearly she's having a really rubbish, like having a difficult time, with a really difficult, sensitive, like, issue, and the breakdown of that relationship is not going to help her find spiritual support for that. Yes, yes, the the stress of that, the son, who... (laughs) I'm wondering whether the son was picking it up from the mum, you know, that uh, this, this couldn't care less attitude, I mean, okay, I didn't do my homework, cool not cool <laughs> yeah well yeah there was a reason why he hadn't done his homework if you have homework on your family and you have no family you have as a teacher should have more respect for that child and their their status and their the way they're going to feel about that sort of homework of course he didn't do it what could he write Absolutely. yeah very insensitive of the teacher to expect him to do that homework when he doesn't know who his parents are does he what he, what his uh, heritage is so you're absolutely right yes but at the same time his his whole attitude there seems to be a regular sort of thing you know, you've got the impression this was perhaps not the first time he was sitting there sort of defiantly thinking huh? who are you to tell me what to do sort of thing so um yeah problems P- christian response to those who annoy or frustrate me Yeah, in several places in the Bible it says, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And uh, sadly I think we see examples of that uh, there that, uh, that the lady uh, and, and the pastor, were, neither of them cover themselves in glory very much, and nor, nor obviously the boy in the thing. I was reading Dr. Micah Jazz in the latest edition of Voice of Hope, which came out recently, Voice of Hope, that's the magazine there, you've probably seen it on the table at the back there, it's published by Premier Christian Radio. And he was commenting on the verse in Galatians chapter six which says this, therefore whenever we have the opportunity we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. And Michael Jazz wrote this about it. Every day we have an opportunity to do and to be good. These may be the smallest actions, like taking responsibility in the home for things which are not your responsibility, yet are kind and helpful. When I think of all that God has done for me, may the overflow of my gratitude spur me on to do good and to be good. So it's that overflow of gratitude for all that God has done for me, completely undeserved, He created my amazingly complicated body he's looked after me all these years he's shown me the path to god and given me the power to take that path he's given me my life an overflow of joy given me a relationship with him the god of all eternity he's shown me the one thing that we all fear most of all death has been defeated and given proof of it by dying for us and then rising to life again three days later. And it's this overflow of gratitude for all that pours out of our lives. And it's this overflow of God's love to us that overflows again towards others, and especially to those who annoy and irritate us. Now our tubby Lady Joyce just doesn't seem to have got this. Instead of being like the prodigal son returned home and so glad to be reinstalled in his position as a son when he was going to beg to be uh, made a household slave, instead of which he ended up being like receiving that full gratitude for all that God has done, she's acting instead rather like the older brother, busily engaged in all her church activities and fretting over her son and trying to avoid close relationships. Won't call the pastor by his name, Jason. Please, I've known you six months, call me Jason. We know pastor. She sees church as a routine of service rather than about loving relationships. Uh, Personally, I think, and he may disagree with me, I don't know, but if she continues to lead that Bible study group with that attitude, that root of bitterness is going to poison the atmosphere of the group. Nobody's gonna want to join that group Pastor Jason is lovingly going to have to suggest that she takes a break from leading it as it's proving too much for her. And if she won't step down, I think you'll have to insist and replace her with somebody who is putting a living relationship with God as a deeply loved child of his at the forefront of their lives. Now That's just my opinion, you may have other thoughts on that. Hopefully, hopefully they can nurture Joyce from being like the older brother not wanting to be reconciled to his younger brother, just as Joyce doesn't want to be reconciled to the pastor, to becoming like the younger brother who is so grateful that his broken relationship has been mended. In the Middle East, one of these countries has got a far higher percentage of the population that are Christian than any other of these nations. Now, anybody know which one it is? You want to have a guess, just put your hand up and shout out if you ha- have a guess which one of these countries in the Middle East has got far higher percentage of Christians than any, any other one yes absolutely right, very good first rate lebanon that 's right there it is in the middle of the, Atlant- of the middle of the Mediterranean there lebanon uh, there 's about one third of the population of, of Lebanon are christians that 's followed by uh, Egypt where about one fifth of the population are Christian now if you look at the uh, map of of Lebanon, there's just one problem. Lebanon has the Mediterranean Sea on its western border and on its northern and eastern border is Syria. In recent years, vast numbers of refugees from Syria have flooded into Lebanon. What an opportunity that is to show the love of Christ to these desperate people, people who have fled their country with no possessions and no hope and are traumatized. There's just one problem. The Lebanese and Syrians are enemies due to a deep resentment of Syria's long occupation of Lebanon from 1976 to 2005. Twenty-nine long years, Syria occupied Lebanon. It's a little bit like the Samaritans having no dealings with Jews. There's a tremendous opportunity for Christians in Lebanon to show the love of Jesus to these desperate, destitute Syrians. But there's that wall of bitterness that has to be broken down first. Now, fortunately, this is happening as Christians are able to recognise that Jesus has forgiven us a far greater hatred. Hatred towards him on the cross. And so that they can forgive their enemies. Masses of traumatised children can have a makeshift school and learn in the process that there is a God who does love and care for them. Sat 7 Television, the Christian TV station which operates in the Middle East, recently sent around an Advent brochure called Joy to the World. Just grab it here. This one here. Any, anybody seen it? Anybody got it? Anybody had it from Sat 7? It's a very, it was a very good magazine actually. It was sent, sent for, for Advent. And uh, in it they wrote this. One church that learnt to overcome these differences is Resurrection Church in Lebanon's capital, Beirut, a thriving evangelical church with a congregation of 1,300 people. When war broke out in Syria and refugees flooded into Lebanon, Resurrection Church was ready to respond. These brothers and sisters were traumatized and have no community, says the pastor, so we became their family. It wasn't an easy process, though. Religious, ethnic, and cultural differences caused barriers, and there was deep resentment born of Syria's long occupation of Lebanon. The pastor admits that the church needed a change of heart. He said, when people from different backgrounds come into a church, some people feel ill at ease. Syrians were our enemies for so many years. But this is not what God wanted, of course. Transformation began when, in a church service, the pastor invited a Syrian man onto the stage so that he, the preacher, the pastor, could wash the Syrian refugees' feet. As he prepared the bucket and sponge, he found his own anger and hurts flooding his mind. He said, as I got close to his feet, I saw the feet that stepped on our childhood and destroyed Lebanon. I remembered all that happened to us, But as he stooped to wash the feet of his Syrian friend, something happened. I learnt a great lesson, the pastor remembers. When you bow down to wash the feet of your enemy, God bows down to heal your wounds. Slowly, the Spirit has transformed us as a church, he says. We really feel we are one family now. So there we are, when you bow down to wash the feet of your enemy, God bows down to heal your wounds and slowly his spirit has transformed us as a church. We really feel that we are one family now. There we are, reconciled to our enemies. As Jesus said in that prayer we read in the gospel, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me, and how these Syrian refugees need to know that from their enemies. Now that reconciliation between enemies won't normally be a literal foot washing ceremony although we did do that once in the lounge here a few years ago and it resulted in the birth of the uh, grapevine lunch that we had and uh, that was that was quite an occasion. So how does reconciliation occur between Pastor Jason and Tubby Joyce? Well it's not going to be by foot washing but It turned out to be by an unexpected situation that occurs in the film shortly afterwards. 13-year-old adopted son John is playing around in the snow with two of his school friends. They're having a great time playing with a ball in the snow and then they venture out onto the ice and they take a delayed timer selfie of themselves on the ice. There's the photographs that they take. And this photo is not taken from the film, this is the real photo from the actual occasion, and that's John, the person who didn't do his homework, on the right-hand side there. Then, seconds later, disaster happens. Two of them were able to climb out onto the ice and escape, but John fell unconscious and sank to the bottom of the lake. He was down there for 15 minutes before the paramedics were able to pull him out. He was rushed to the A&E with the paramedics doing CPR for 45 minutes until his mum, Joyce, turned up when they were told that there was no hope and they needed to give up. CPR was stopped and everyone left the room, leaving mum alone with John, and mum prayed an urgent prayer. And maybe you've guessed, but John's heart suddenly and miraculously starts beating again. The entire intensive care unit is suddenly galvanized into action again and texts and messages start flying around everyone in the church and his school to say what's happened and to ask everyone to pray now. Pastor Jason rushes over to the hospital. There he is. You can see him on the left-hand side. It's a bit dark picture actually, but if you look just on the left-hand side, you can just see him in the background there. Okay, and he spends the whole night there as John is not expected to survive the night. And no doubt that Pastor Jason Jason is spending the whole night in silent prayer as he's in the hospital. The next morning, Pastor Jason returns home to have breakfast with his family. And one of his two small children asks him, Daddy, why did you have to sleep at the hospital? Well, I'm guessing he didn't actually sleep at the hospital. He was up all night, I guess. But Dad is quick to notice that the question, why did you have to sleep at the hospital, provided a teachable moment. And this is his response. As you note, know, Jason had nothing negative to say about John's mum. He could have said to those children, that stupid woman or that lady who doesn't like me but he doesn't. So out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Negative comments would have been completely unhelpful here and would have undermined the message that he was trying to teach his children. That film is called Breakthrough, and it's breakthrough on several different layers. Obviously, breaking through the ice, and then there's breakthrough in prayer. Everyone had given up on John's life, but his mum prayed an urgent prayer, Lord, save! And God heard and answered that prayer in a miraculous way. And then there's breakthrough in a relationship with God. Mum discovered in a fresh way that God longs to be able to carry us on his shoulders of love and enjoy that intimate relationship of father and child of God. And she learnt that through discovering Pastor Jason's genuine care for her, through that long, agonising night when her son's life hung in the balance. And in it, she saw the love of God lived out in the flesh, even for someone who had no particular reason to care about her. And that transformed her life. And I guess it's not giving away too many secrets to say that the son miraculously survived the ordeal and pulled through as though, in the end, nothing had happened. It transformed mother and son's relationship, And it transformed his attitude to life all around him, including his schoolwork. And his classmates noticed it, and it affected their attitude to life. And this rippled out to the lives of the whole community in that small town. A whole multitude of transformations took place, in part because of that pastor's willingness to go the extra mile and live out the loving heart of God. At the end of that high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed, that we read earlier, just before his arrest in Gethsemane, he said to his heavenly father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Well, there's the real mother and son on the picture there to whom this happened, that's after the event we're not all called to be pastors or shepherds of the flock but we are all called to go looking for the lost sheep and to bring them to the point where they can feel that their Heavenly Father's heartbeat close to theirs and hopefully also respond to that love in loving gratitude and joy themselves and some of them will take a very long time to get there and sadly some of them will never respond to that love that God is in the business of seeking to get our attention. Hopefully it won't be something as radical as a life-threatening situation for that to happen, but we need to be alert to that still, small voice of God within us, seeking to get our attention. And then we won't need to worry about those who annoy or frustrate us, because we'll know that God has it in hand, and that he's daily changing those of us who are his from one degree of glory to another, until we all attain to the fullness of Christ who fills all and is in all when we at last enter his presence.